Good morning. Um, today's Bible reading will be taken from 2 Samuel, chapter 1, verse 1 to 16, and then from chapter 5, verse 1 to 5. After the death of Saul, David returned from striking down the Amalekites and stayed in Ziglag for two days. On the third day, a man arrived from Saul's camp with his clothes torn and dust on his head. When he came to David, he fell to the ground to pay him honor. Where have you come from? David asked him. He answered, I have escaped from the Israelite camp. What happened? David asked. Tell me. The men fled from the battle, he replied. Many of them fell and died, and Saul and his son Jonathan are dead. Then David said to the young men who brought him the report, How do you know that Saul and his son Jonathan are dead? I happened to be on Mount Gilboa, the young man said, and there was Saul, leaning on his spear, with the chariots and their drivers in hot pursuit. When he turned around and saw me, he called out to me, and I said, What can I do? He asked me, Who are you? An Amalekite, I answered. Then he said to me, Stand here by me and kill me. I'm in the throes of death, but I'm still alive. So I stood beside him and killed him, because I knew that after he had fallen, he could not survive. And I took the crown that was on his head and the band on his arm and have brought them here to my Lord. Then David and all the men with him took hold of their clothes and tore them. They mourned and wept and fasted till evening for Saul and his son Jonathan and for the army of the Lord and for the nation of Israel because they had fallen by the sword. David said to the young man who brought him the report, Where are you from? I am the son of a foreigner, an Amalekite, he answered. David asked him, Why weren't you afraid to lift your hand to destroy the Lord's anointed? Then David called one of his men and said, Go, strike him down. So he struck him down and he died. For David had said to him, Your blood be on your own head. Your own mouth testified against you when you said, I killed the Lord's anointed. And now we turn to chapter 5, verse 1 to 5. All the tribes of Israel came to David at Hebron and said, we are your own flesh and blood. In the past, while Saul was king over us, you were the one who led Israel on their military campaigns. And the Lord said to you, You will shepherd my people Israel, and you will become their ruler. When all the elders of Israel had come to King David at Hebron, the king made a covenant with them at Hebron before the Lord, and they anointed David king over Israel. David was thirty years old when he became king, and he reigned for forty years. In Hebron, he reigned over Judah for seven years and six months, and in Jerusalem, he reigned over all of Israel and Judah for 33 years. This is the word of the Lord. Morning, morning. My name's Michael. It's uh, my pleasure, my privilege to bring you the word of God this morning. Just open with prayer. Heavenly Father, we praise you, we honor you, we glorify you. We're going to read this morning about the man who became king over Israel. We remember, Lord, our own lives are lived in subjection to you. You're our king, you're our Lord. You're our Saviour, you're our God. Help us this morning. Bless us with your presence. Be with us, Lord. Bless and anoint me to deliver your word in truth. Fill me with your Holy Spirit. I pray that you bring out the words that 
you want to be said and open all of our hearts, give us listening ears, give us receptive minds. Speak to us this morning, open our hearts to you. In the name of Jesus, amen. So, this morning we are uh, beginning a series in the book of 2 Samuel. 2 Samuel, last year, if you remember, we went through 1 Samuel and uh, after that we went through the book of James. We took a, uh, over the Christmas break, we went through a series on some of the parables. We're coming back into 2 Samuel, that'll be for this term. Uh, after the term is done, we're going to go into... <coughs> excuse me. Thanks, Douglas. <clears throat> after this term we're going to go into some of the, <clears throat> the themes from the Vision Sunday on prayer so uh, today uh, we're going through the, the text is actually the first five chapters of the book of uh, 2 Samuel if you were here at the 8.30 it's the same passage that Daryl preached on but different focus um, so these chapters that we are looking at today, they're actually a, they're a link. We look at them as a link. They're a bit of a transition period between the reign of King Saul, the reign of King David. Uh, during these five chapters, this marks the change, uh, the move from when Saul is king to when David is king. Okay, and so the events of these five chapters are what happens during uh, that time. Uh, time period we're looking at it. It's about 500 years after Moses, and it's about a thousand years before Jesus. Um, very quick recap of what happened in First Samuel. First Samuel, the uh, people of Israel, they're in the Promised Land. They're they're ruled by the law of Moses, but they want a king. They want a king, so they ask God. God gave them a king. King was Saul. Saul, however, refused to submit to God. He didn't. Uh, he refused to yield to the Lord, so God rejected him and chose David as a man who would become king in his place. Uh, so the prophet Samuel goes up to David, anoints him uh, as the man who would be king. The Spirit of the Lord comes on David. The Spirit of the Lord leaves Saul. Saul, not happy about this turn of events and uh, spends quite a, uh, a bit of time trying to kill David. David uh, eventually has to go into hiding and went off and was hiding among at the, at the end of 1 Samuel David is hiding among the Philistines Israel's enemies and Saul goes off to eventually die in battle so David is not actually involved in that battle that brings us to the end of 1 Samuel beginning of 2 Samuel this passage that Vanessa read this morning uh, this period of this is uh, these five chapters cover a period of about seven and a half years. Uh, it wasn't as though Saul died, David became king. This seven and a half year period uh, during this time. And um, during these five chapters, I'm going to quickly run through the main events of these five chapters, so feel free to flip through your Bibles as uh, we just hit the main points there. Chapter one, as Vanessa read, David learns that Saul and Jonathan have died. They, he mourns for them. And in the second half of chapter 1, he composes this eulogy. It's very stirring. It's uh, uh, very, very positive, this eulogy for Saul and for Jonathan. Uh, he gets it all written in a book. Everybody sings it. It's a very touching moment. Chapter 2, uh, David seeks the Lord. He moves camp to a place called Hebron. It's about uh, 20 miles south of Jerusalem. He's heading in that direction. Um, 
he moves up there and he is crowned king of his own tribe, tribe of Judah, just his own tribe. Uh, at the same time, there's this other guy whose name is Ishbosheth. Uh, he's a bit of a wimp, and he gets crowned king of the rest of Israel, the uh, northern tribes. Still in chapter two, the second half of chapter two, uh, civil war breaks out, uh, bet- mainly between the followers of David, the followers of Saul. A lot of people die. David himself is not involved in this war. He's sitting back. The war goes on into chapter 3. David is busy, but he's not busy in the war. He's busy um, getting wives. He gets a few wives. Now, this is, by the way, this is not a good thing. He makes a point in chapter 3. One of the wives he gets, he actually recovers his first wife, whose name was Michal. She was um, Saul's daughter. And if you remember from 1 Samuel, there was this whole... uh, Situation where he was married to her and then she was taken from him. He makes a point of getting her back. Um, a lot of political manoeuvrings, a lot of wheelings and dealings, uh, a lot of backstabbing, political backstabbing. There's a literal backstabbing or two in there. Um, chapter four, things come to a head, and this guy Ishbosheth uh, gets murdered. Uh, his murderers come up to David and they've got their hand out they want a bit of praise a bit of reward but uh, as very similar to what uh, Vanessa read this morning David is not happy and he has them executed chapter 5 is when David becomes king over all Israel wars don't cease he continues fighting especially the Philistines but the country is now united under King David so that's a very quick summary of the main events in chapter 5 there's a lot in there so uh, what I want to do is focus on two, two questions, two questions that you can get from reading this text. And from these, after these two questions, we're going to highlight a couple of the incidents in there and uh, bring out what that means, what that can mean for us. So first question that's quite um, striking is what David thinks about Saul, David's attitude towards Saul. We remember First Samuel from First Samuel that Saul is not exactly a good king. He's not the guy we look up to. He's not the king that we want to admire and get all our lessons from him. But Saul's rea- uh, David's reaction to Saul's death in chapter 1 that we read this morning is very positive. He's, he doesn't say a word ba- bad about him. He composes this eulogy and it's very, very positive. He doesn't say a word about the fact that Saul's been chasing him, trying to kill him for the last few years. It's, it's this really positive, full of praise thing about Saul and Jonathan also. So the question, I guess, is David speaks a lot more positively about Saul than we're used to thinking about him. And, and uh, we need to find out what's going on there. What does David see in Saul? What's going on? What does David see that we don't, usually see when we think about Saul. Why is he talking that way? First question. Second question is this seven and a half year period. Seven and a half years. Um, Why does David wait before coming king? Why does he wait? Now, he knew God had plans for him. God had anointed him 
uh, maybe about a dozen years earlier, about a dozen years before, he knew God wanted him to do something. Everybody's talking about it. God's been blessing him. He's filled with the Spirit. He's got this following of uh, uh, soldiers. He's, they're battle-hardened. They know what to do. Saul is dead. He could probably have just walked in, taken the throne. There might have been a bit of opposition, but he could have walked in he could have become king at that point but he didn't he waited another seven and a half years he let these things happen and he just went off to uh, Hebron and did his stuff there what was he doing what, what was he waiting seven and a half years for what was stopping him from just walking in taking the kingdom so uh, I guess these are the two questions that came to my mind when I read the text and uh, want to go into them, find out what were his motivations, what were the reasons why he waited, his reasons for looking at Saul this way. So the first, uh, first I just want to have a look at, again at his words to this guy in chapter 1, the Amalekite. So if you have a look at chapter 1, just uh, starting at verse 14 there, just going to read those couple of verses again. This is what um, David is talking to the Amalekite. Uh, David asked him, Why were you not afraid to lift your hand to destroy the Lord's anointed? And David called one of his men and said, Go strike him down. So he struck him down and he died. For David had said to him, Your blood be on your own head. Your own mouth testified against you when you said, I killed the Lord's anointed. So there's David talking to this Amalekite. Now, by the way, there is a bit of um, question about whether the Amalekite did actually kill Saul. Uh, it goes both ways. Maybe he did, maybe he was just making it up. I'll leave that to you to uh, research a bit further. It can probably be resolved quite satisfactorily either way. Um, why did the Amalekite kill Saul? They say he did. Uh, Malachite said, well, it was a mercy killing. Saul's there dying in agony. The enemy's just around the corner. They're about to uh, come upon him. Uh, the Amalekite said Saul asked him to. And, of course, Saul's David's enemy, so the Amalekite figures, well, look, here's a chance to get myself in David's good books. Uh, but David didn't react in the way that the Amalekite had hoped. It would have been a bit of a shock. And... What was the thing that David said? David said, Saul was the Lord's anointed. Saul was the Lord's anointed. In fact, uh, if you look at the, what David said, the Amalekite himself had acknowledged that. Saul was the Lord's anointed. And this was the reason why the Amalekite should not have done what he did. He was the Lord's anointed. Okay, so what does that mean? Um, they, uh, so... Saul had been anointed as king. He was anointed before the people. He was anointed before God, before the prophet. He was the legitimate ruler of Israel. He had rights, he had responsibilities, and so did the people who were uh, under him, his people. Uh, the king's rights, responsibilities, he was to rule the people, but he was always to remember that God was his king. He was always to remember that, to keep that in his place. His role, his job description, if you like, was to lead the people so that they would follow God. He was to rule by being ruled by God. Now, he didn't get that, which is why God rejected him. 
he, when he disobeyed God, it showed that he was not loyal to God, his own king. Um, the people also had their responsibilities. Their role was to honour, uh, support, obey and protect their king. That was their role and that was their role before God. They, um, they were obliged to honour the king and it was not because of who the king was but it was because who God is. God had put him there. God had raised him up. God had uh, anointed him. This is what it is. God had allowed him to come to this place. And so the people were obliged to honor the king because of God's hand in bringing him there, because it was God who brought him there. So um, when the Amalekite had killed him, he was showing dishonor not just to Saul, but to God. The Amalekite said, yeah, he's the Lord's anointed, but I killed him. The, when the Amalekite did that, he was showing dishonor to God. And that, that was not acceptable, uh, of course, and the Amalekite paid, paid for it. And Now, so if you bring it back to David, why didn't he come in? Well, he would have had to fight his way in. He probably would have succeeded but there was opposition you can uh, read that in the text there was opposition and fighting his way in there would have meant he was dishonoring God who had set it up in the first place so this is the first reason okay this is the first thing so David says okay look I'm not going to go in and fight my way in because that's going to be dishonoring God it's not the only reason um, second reason if you just uh, flip over to chapter 4 briefly there's that other incident I mentioned uh, that brings out something else uh, in the death of Ishbosheth, Ishbosheth or son a couple of guys there think it's a great idea to uh, to knock off Ishbosheth. They so they do and they come to David again with their hand out they've got short memories these guys um, they they come in and David judges them guilty of murder on their own admission and sentences them to death. He doesn't mention the Lord's anointed, chapter 4. He, they're guilty of murder and they pay the price for that. And David is hes actually applying the law of Moses. He says, do not murder. The penalty for murder is the uh, death penalty. And what you see in here is the fundamental underlying uh, law which governs Israel and it's not just it's a lot more than rules and regulations and obey the speed limit and stuff like that it's how to please God God put that law in there so again honoring the law keeping the law was how you honored God David therefore did not fight his way in because he had to he knew he had to honor God by keeping the law now we know he wasn't entirely perfect in that but in this area this is one of the reasons why he refused to fight his way in to take the kingdom reason number three reason number three is personal reason um, David had actually promised Saul some years before that he would not fight against his descendants he would not kill his children now uh, a few years earlier when David was on the run from Saul you probably remember the story David's hiding in a cave and lo and behold Saul come, jumps into the cave to relieve himself. Um, David's men says, great, here's our opportunity. And David says, no, he is the Lord's anointed. I'm not going to do that. Um, 
there's a bit of interaction between Saul and David at that point and David promises Saul he makes an oath before Saul, before the people, before God that he would not quote destroy Saul's descendants he would not fight against David's children Saul knows the time is coming when David's going to take over David promises Saul he will not do that now a promise again this is this is the third thing that uh, we have to understand is a, a promise an oath before God is a lot more than your own personal word when he promised before God it was um, you were publicly including God if you like in this promise it was uh, a covenant between you the other party but also with God so if you broke your word if you broke your promise you're not just showing yourself a liar or something you are also uh, defaming the name of the Lord you're profaning is what, how the scripture puts it you're profaning God's name and that was serious business you couldn't you made a promise before the Lord and you decided to break that promise you were putting yourself in the situation where you're profaning God's name and David could not do that so again in order to fight his way in to uh, take the kingdom he would have had to profane God's name by breaking his own word that is the third reason. Reason number four uh, has to do with David's uh, his own uh, the people's attitude towards David, his popularity, if you like. Uh, first, David had been very popular, uh, well liked, people liked him. But then there was this division between him and Saul. He went off into hiding, and his popularity rating dropped. He was uh, people. Uh, no longer thought as highly of him as they had before. His own people loved him, but there are plenty of indications that the people from the house of Saul, the other tribes, were not so crazy about him. Some of them hated him, some of them despised him. And you can see also from uh, these five chapters this civil war that erupts between David's followers between and Saul's followers. There's this lot of animosity, there's this hatred that's in there. And but interesting, you give it seven and a half years. After seven and a half years, everybody comes together unitedly. They bring the invitation. David, you can be our king. You're our brother. You're, you're our warrior. You can do it. And they come together. It took them seven and a half years to have a change of attitude. Or if you like, it took over this period of seven and a half years, God was working on their hearts of the people involved of the situation and the circumstances to bring his plan to fruition to, to make it all happen God was working there um, so that was number four and I guess number five is you just look at David in waiting he's using this time profitably it's not just about the women during these seven and a half years uh, one thing that actually stands out is how much he's building links He's building ties uh, among his own people, but is reaching out to the other tribes. During the civil war, while these things are happening, he's reaching out to some of these tribes in the north. He reaches out, he has, sends off diplomatic missions uh, to different places, and through public uh, displays of 
uh, grief at certain instances and uh, he empathizes with some and even some of the uh, this period where he's marrying these wives one of them you know is actually a princess from this really far northern region now David's down in Hebron in the south Judah's the south and this one of the women that he marries is a princess from way north and you can sense there's all this this is political connections being made, these ties, these uh, diplomatic uh, links that he's building. Uh, he's, he's, building he's building this base, he's doing it, but he's not doing it uh, through bloodshed. He's said, look, the goal is unity and I'm going to work towards that. Okay, so these are basically the five things that are, uh, that are coming out why he's waiting for this seven and a half years and um, I just want to revisit these uh, these issues one by one and just to bring out the, uh, the principle what David's looking at in each situation okay so back to the first one David uh, saw Saul as the Lord's anointed Saul was the Lord's anointed because of God's hand in putting in there and we can bring that back a little bit and say we honour God we honour God when we honour the leaders has ordained or allowed to take office say that again we honour God when we honour the leaders that he has ordained or allowed to take office uh, what I mean, well, first and number one, of course, Jesus Christ is our King. He is our King. He is the King of Kings. He is God's ordained leader. And as, as his followers, we are to honour him publicly, privately, in word, in deed. Honour him. Um, stand up when people shame his name. We belong to him. We belong to him. He's our King. If you're not a Christian yet, if you're not his follower, this is what it means. A, when he invites, when you become a Christian, it's this, accepting this invitation to join his kingdom under his lordship, his rulership. That's that's what it means. So Jesus is our king. Um, secondly, there is we do also uh, need to apply it to human leaders, to people, and it's again, it's m not just honouring the position, it's not just honouring the person but it's recognizing God's hand in uh, bringing that person or allowing that person to come to power. Um, and we're, most of us are familiar with the text in Romans chapter 13, verse 1. Romans 13, everyone must submit himself to the governing authorities. There's no authority. There is no authority except that which God has established. The authorities that exist have been established by God. So that's Romans 13 so we do need to be aware this applies regardless of whether you agree with the policies whether you like the person uh, whether they're Christian or non-Christian this is Romans 13 of course Paul was writing about a non-Christian leader um, a little side note honouring a leader does not mean you necessarily owe them blind obedience okay it doesn't mean you do what they say uh, 
uh, for example, look, David did not feel obliged to obey everything that Saul said. Saul picked up a spear and said, look, stand still, will ya? You know, he, he didn't really feel obliged to obey him. He took off and, and ran. So it does not translate necessarily into blind obedience, but there is honouring the hand of God and I think a particular application for us is in the light of the federal election which is coming up later this year before, during, after we are to honour God we are to honour God in this process see God's hand in this whole process and this is how we are we participate in the democratic system here but in everything, in our words in what comes out remember to honour God's hand in the leaders that he has allowed to take office now and those and whatever happens after the election so this is uh, particularly relevant for us now um, second thing the second point David upheld the law he the law was how to please God um, and likewise as followers as his followers we obviously don't do things that are displeasing to him in order to achieve a purpose. In order. So we don't have the liberty to disobey him for the sake of a, a good outcome. We don't have the liberty to do things in way that are, ways that are displeasing to him even though we have good intentions, even though the final result is going to be wonderful, even though even though we believe that God wants this final result to happen. Okay? So it doesn't matter how good the outcome is along the way, the journey along the way, we need to please God also. Um, every detail, every detail of our lives, this is our goal, to please God in everything we do, in church, in our ministries, at work, at home, in our families, in our free time, everything. It's in short, the end, the end does not justify the means. It's pleasing God. We just don't have the liberty to twist things around. So, oh, it's a good outcome. It'll be fine. God will forgive me because I got a good result. God forgives. What He wants us is to wants for us is to please Him along the way. Please Him there. Third, uh, third thing, David kept his promise to his oath before the Lord. And as believers, we are a testimony to the Lord. Each one of us, whether we realise it, whether we not, we don't realise it. Uh, any, we engage in untruthfulness or dodgy business. It does reflect on the Lord, not just on us. It reflects on the Lord, and we need to bear that in mind. Fourth thing, David was waiting. He was waiting seven and a half years, and um, you know sometimes we. Uh, I mean, how often we, we complain or we, we're not happy because we don't get an answer in a couple of days or something. God, tell me what to do. I've been praying for two days or whatever. You know. David waited not just seven and a half years. If you take it from the time when Samuel first anointed him to when he became king of Israel, there's about 20 years there. You know, we worry we don't get an answer in a week or two. David waited 20 years, 20 years for God to bring this to uh, to what he wanted so give God time give God time let him do we, we would wait for a lot of things we wait for a lot of things we wait for um, answers maybe work or 
marriage or relationships or ministry or family or health or finances. Give God time. He's going to get his will done. He's going to get it done. Um, what do you do while you're waiting? Well, you get busy with what you know God wants you to do. Work with God. Don't try and maneuver things around and manipulate things. Seek the Lord. Follow him. Do what he wants you to do. Get busy and trust him. I mean, David waited 20 years. He had his ups and downs. It's uh, Waiting on the Lord is not trying to push your own program through and not trying to manipulate and maneuver things and neither is it sitting back doing nothing. It's uh, cooperating with God while he does what he wants to do. All right, so uh, I started with a couple of questions about the text. Uh, David's positive attitude to Saul, well, um, the answer is that David seems to be a lot more concerned about his own heart, his own obedience than Saul's disobedience and so David says look this is what I'm going to do I'm going to follow God doesn't really matter what happens with Saul we know that I'm going to follow God second one why did he wait seven years to take the kingdom well his journey to the throne needs to be one that honoured God his journey there um, he honoured God by honouring God's hand in leadership by honouring what God said was right and wrong by making sure he kept his word before God and by waiting for God to work things out in the uh, lives of the, uh, the other people involved in the circumstances. And that's what we need to bring home from uh, this today, that we glorify God in all that we do, in the details along the journey. We're all, uh, we're all on our way there. Let's make sure we are obeying the Lord on each detail on the way. Let's give him glory. Let's give him honour. It's not just about the destination, it's also about the journey. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, dear Lord Jesus, you're our King. We honour you. We praise you. We give you uh, our glory. We give you our honour. Bless us with a spirit of submission, of willingness, of obedience to you. Help us to bring honour to your holy name in our words, in our actions, the things we do publicly, the things we do privately. Grant us wisdom. Grant us wisdom to know how best to honour you during our times of waiting. Bless us, Lord, this morning. In the name of Jesus. Amen.